way here to be together. In a, in a real sense, we are, um, we are representing the body of Christ. Not everyone is able uh, or willing to, um, to come out during this time. And so I'm grateful that you uh, do and you are. And together, um, we represent the entire body of Christ as we worship together today. Just a couple of quick announcements as we prepare for worship. If you're visiting with us online, we're grateful for your being here today. And, um, and we uh, would like to say we knew we would know when this is going to all be over. But the reality is, is, um, is it's a constantly changing dynamic. And, and I don't know that that is bad. It feels bad. I know that it feels bad because we can't predict um, what the next week will, will hold. But... But I'm mindful that, um, in a real sense, what we, the way that we are living right now is the reality, right? We do not know what tomorrow holds. And so we are being forced to do what the Bible encouraged us to do a long time ago, to live one day, even one hour, even one moment at a time. But I'm trusting that God's grace is sufficient for us. I'm so grateful for Kyle Jones, who brought the word of God a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, um, just inexpressible grief of Rispa as, as she suffered and then stood by her, uh, her sons through her period of grief. I'm grateful for Ross um, Chapman last week and uh, his, his bringing to us the uh, unimaginable transformation that, uh, that Zacchaeus went through. And if you didn't have a chance, if you're online and you didn't have a chance to catch one of those, I just really encourage you on our website, you should be able to access those, um, those messages. But we're continuing today uh, with the idea of unimaginable transformation. And, and when you encounter the love of God, it changes everything. So I'm grateful that you're here with us today to be able to, to practice uh, that transformation together. Just a quick a couple of announcements. Um, next Sunday, we will be um, uh, sharing the Lord's Supper together. Again, it's, for us, it's a little weird, but, but we'll do that. We'll give you individual cups with the bread and, and the juice, and you will pick them up on your way in, and then uh, during the communion time at the conclusion of the service, We'll partake of that together. If you are online with us, we just really invite you to prepare communion in your home, the bread and the juice, and to be ready to um, experience that online with us next week. We'll just look forward to that so much. But there's one thing that is constant uh, in the midst of all of this change, and that is the presence of God. That is the unfailing love of God which reaches out across the distance, which, which speaks to each of us. So let's start our worship today just by, by focusing together on the unfailing love of God. Can we do that together? You have my heart. And I am yours forever. You are my strength. God of grace and power in everything you hold in your hand still you make time for me I can't understand stand with us would you praise you God of earth and sky how beautiful is your unfailing Unfailing love, and you never change, God. You remain the Holy One of my unfailing love. Unfailing love, you are my rock, the one I hold on to. You are my song. See 
praise you, God of earth and sky. How beautiful is your unfailing love, unfailing love. And you never change, God, you remain the Holy One. just about your creation, Lord, and so grateful for all the answered prayer and our high schoolers being able to get out in your creation to get into the Smoky Mountains and um, experience firsthand, God, the glory of your creation from, from the beautiful forests to the raging rivers, God, to even, even the tiniest thing, like one of those stick insects, God, that it's just a masterpiece of, of your creation. Oh, thank you so much that your creation declares your glory, God. That's beautiful. But God, as we gather together today, we're especially grateful for the pinnacle of your creation. That in your wisdom, you 
you wanted to reflect even more of who you are. And so you created men and women. You placed them on this earth to steward creation. And God, I thank you that though it's easy for us to, to lose sight of your creative power behind each, each poem, each majestic creation that is a human being, God, even though it's easy for us to forget, I thank you that your word constantly brings us back. I thank you that your word constantly calls us together to see in each other the beauty of your creation. God, I know that you made this world to be beautiful. I know also, God, that that through our choices, through our sin, we marred the beauty of your creation. But I thank you that, that you created a way through Jesus Christ, God, for us to even come, to even overcome the brokenness and the pain of sin. You offered your only begotten son in our place, life for life, so that whoever would put their trust in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. God, we um, cry out to you that we live in a world filled with pain. Um, some of it corporate, like we're experiencing with this, this pestilence, this virus. God, we cried out to you and, and in your wisdom, which we don't always understand, you've allowed this pestilence to continue. But God, I thank you that even in the midst of it, you uh, are proving yourself glorious. You're healing. You're restoring. You're renewing. You're recreating, God, and the earth as a reflection of it. So in Jesus' name, God, we ask you today as we gather, forgive us our sins, for they are many. God, by the blood of Jesus, cleanse us of all unrighteousness, God, so that, so that standing before you wouldn't be able to behold your glory. Standing in your creation would be able to see your hand at work, even in the midst of pain, God, even in the midst of pain to be able to sense your presence with us. So, Jesus, we just ask you to meet us in this place now. Jesus, we ask you to overcome our pain. We ask you to glorify yourself in us now. In Jesus' name. Life is being found in you. 
from 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him that way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. You God, thank you that you're not done yet. You're still in the business of creation. Open our hearts to your word, would you? God, meet us in this place. Speak to us words of life. And God, will give you the praise and we will give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you have your Bible with you or if you would like to use your phone this morning, but I invite you to turn to our passage for today. Uh, It's in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. The book of Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. We'll pick up the story in a moment, but let's, let's hear God's word together. But Saul, who we know of as the Apostle Paul later, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. So he's right outside of Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. We learn later in the same book that it was around noon that day. So Even in the midst of the sunshine, this amazing light shone around him. And falling to the ground in verse 4, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Now the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, 
but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was in in Damascus a disciple named Ananias. There's about three Ananiases in the New Testament. And the Lord said to this one in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and before kings and before the children of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that I may regain, excuse me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God, the very Word of God. Thanks be to God. Our other passage today comes from Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The very word of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, I appreciate your patience with me this morning. I'm not used to having those uh, earplugs in, and it, it is a very different experience if you've not had that done before, so I have no idea what that was like for you, but it was very weird for me. Have you ever um, been in that situation where you said, this person has got to be beyond the redemption of God? Can we be real? I know we'd like to think, oh, I never have those thoughts, right? Um, but the reality is that many of us do. Let me pick an easy one for starters and then maybe think of some harder ones. And, of course, the hardest ones are people that we know most and experience the most. But I'm old enough to remember when um, Richard Nixon had a hatchet man. Do you remember him? And he famously said, I would run over my grandmother if I had to. Now, I, I can tolerate a lot of things from a lot of different people, but messing with my grandma, you know, that, that goes beyond the pale. And, and this guy was nasty. Uh, he, he would do anything to advance his agenda, and probably um, behind him was the power of the presidency of the United States. Well, eventually it caught up with him. He was busted, and he went to jail, right? And I'm thinking, see, God's word is true. God takes vengeance on, on those who uh, break his laws, and, and we get the true 
consequences of our actions. And, and, and then the word started to filter down that, that there was this group in Washington of, of prayers, of people who prayed for um, public figures. And, uh, and there was a particular man named Doug who was praying for Charles Colson. And, uh, and then the word began to filter down that Charles Colson had become a Christian. I would, I would love to tell you that I just, uh, I just embraced that and said, praise God, by faith, said, you know, super, uh, wow, thank you for answered prayer, God, and, and opened my heart to him. But even at the young age I was, I was 19, what was that, 1974, 75, um, I, there was a hardness in my heart uh, that would not want him to spend eternity in heaven, and I'm sorry to say that, but that was where I was. And, and then secondly, would not believe, isn't that faithless? Would not believe that it was possible. Well, we can get tougher than Charles Colson. If you don't know Charles Colson, Chuck Colson, he, <clears throat> one of the most significant minds of our generation, my generation at least, um, he's written incredible insights into the very things that we're experiencing now, the struggles as a, as a culture wanders from God and, and, and draws other people with it. Uh, Chuck Colson's passed away now, but he was like, like Francis Schaeffer, one of the key minds of our time. But maybe when I asked you that question, is it hard for you to believe that some people, maybe your mind went a different place. Maybe you thought of some of the um, criminals the mass murderers that uh, have professed faith in Christ. Let's be real. The thought of being with uh, 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 Jeffrey Dahmer right, for, um, for eternity. Now, I see, I did, my, my mind just goes, some, whatever allowed him to do the atrocities that, that he committed... I just can't fathom that ever changing. But I got a harder one than that for you, right? <laughs> How can you get harder than that? Someone who eats his victims, right? Uh, uh, yeah, there's this, this guy, Dave Mills. Um, who God, in his mercy, reached out and called to himself. I'm not playing with you. I think the hardest one to believe is that he could transform me, that he could overcome my sin. You see, I'm no better than Chuck Colson, and I know this is hard for some of us to wrap our brains around, but we are no better than Jeffrey Dahmer, right? Sin is sin. Oh, the consequences of our sin is very different. But the reality is that sin is sin. And, and if God can overcome my sin, maybe, just maybe, he can overcome yours. Maybe, just maybe, he can overcome someone else's. In our story today, in Acts chapter 9, these both passages are so familiar, and I just, I just cry out to you, please don't, um, please don't check out uh, because of the familiarity of it. We've discovered over and over again that God's word always has something special for us. There's always some insight in it for us if we'll just open our hearts and minds to it. But there was that kind of person in the first century, a murderer, a, a, a person who, in, in, if, if it's even worse, in his self-righteousness sought out people to persecute, to harm, to imprison to drag back in chains uh, to Jerusalem. And after he had persecuted everybody he could find in Jerusalem, he went out and, and sought permission to, to go to other cities. Now, he had no, no governing authority. The Romans were ruling around him, but, but he had the moral authority of the Sanhedrin, of the highest council in, uh, in, the, in uh, the Jewish faith. 
and, and they gave him authority to go seek out these criminals. You know who these criminals were? You know who these people were that were doing something so atrocious? Now, bear with me for a second that they needed to be caught and punished and even killed. Um, they were people of the way. It's a name that appears only in, um, in the book of Acts, but appears several times in the book of Acts. Keep in mind that, that Torah or Torah meant the way, right? They are people who had come to know Jesus Christ and were proclaiming him in not, not as separatists at that time, but within the Jewish culture saying, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Savior of the world. And, and you crucified him, but he rose from the dead and he has broken the power of politics, right? He has broken the power of sin that would lead to mass murder like, like we talked about earlier. He's broken even power of sin in a human heart. And, and for that crime, they were being sought after. In other words, beloved, if Saul were here today, you would be the people that he would be persecuting. You, who have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would be sought out by this man and we didn't have time to read it, but in the previous chapter, at the end of chapter 7, um, we first meet the Apostle Paul. And, um, and it comes at the stoning of a man named Stephen. I'm going to ask you to remember today um, three people in particular, Stephen and Ananias, and then we'll hint at a later study of Barnabas. But Stephen was one of the seven who was chosen to be a deacon, to be a servant, and to minister to the needs of the believers in Jerusalem. But Stephen and Saul were a lot alike in that they came to the understanding that the direction of the culture in which they lived and the direction of the kingdom of God were opposed to each other. Does that sound familiar? The direction of the culture that they lived in and the direction of the kingdom of God were opposed to each other. Now, now the apostle, excuse me, uh, Saul at this point, he's not the apostle Paul yet, it's Saul at this point, his solution was to stamp out any opposition to the culture that he wanted. But Stephen's was very different. Stephen's approach was to declare in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the brokenness, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it drove Saul nuts. And, and when Stephen declared, called them out, told them what they had done, told them who they were, listen to the rant at the end of this, you stiff-necked people, Stephen said, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. And he continues. He continues, well, they had had enough, and they stoned him. And in his last breath, like his Savior, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And, and Stephen died. And as he was being stoned, the people who were being stoned laid their coats at the feet of Saul. They laid their tunics at the feet of Saul. And then we see um, at, in, in chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Wow, wow. So then we come to our story today and, and Saul, who was mentored by Gamaliel, the very man who said, 
if, if this is of God, if this movement, the way is of God, then you will not be able to fight against it. The, the, the smooth, uh, soothing voice who said, don't, don't take people's lives. Don't try and stamp this out. His, his disciple, Saul, was doing that very thing. And, and on his way to Damascus, um, suddenly, um, Saul is struck by a light so bright it knocks him to the ground. And everything in his life changes. Let me press pause for just a second. Because last week, you, you looked together at Zacchaeus. And if I could, I want to characterize this transformation of Zacchaeus as the transformation of an irreligious man to faith in Jesus Christ. And it was so beautiful. Ross unpacked it so, so beautifully. Uh, as, as he was welcomed into the kingdom of God, his life was transformed. And, and this person who, who made his living stealing from his own brothers and sisters, this irreligious man became an amazingly it was an amazing transformation. But today we're encountering a, a different kind of person. And I, I want to suggest to you that, that, that very possibly um, we could characterize Saul not as an irreligious person, but as a religious person. Now, again, I want to press pause within a pause and say um, different people mean different things when they say that. <clears throat> For many of us, when we say Religious, that is a very good thing. That is a very good thing. We mean the same thing that someone else says uh, when they talk about faith in Jesus Christ, and that's a beautiful thing. But I want to parse it out just slightly different for you today. I want to, I want to just note that whenever um, you come to a, a level of faith in God, you build around you structures to help you maintain that faith. We've encouraged you to do some of them. Open God's word together. I'm looking over here at Sarah, and she was just challenging our high school students this last week to, to, um, to dig deep into God's word, to communicate with God, to pray. But can you see the temptation? Then all of a sudden, and I've, I've succumbed to it, all of a sudden you can, can make reading the Bible your religion, right? And, and you can check the little boxes we put for you in the bulletin, and you can feel really good about something and, and not experience any relationship at all. So in my generation, when we, when we talked about religion, we never wanted to separate the things that we do to maintain our faith with the relationship with Christ. Here in, in Saul, who's... who's um, very name was an answer to prayer. His name meant God answers, right? God answers. And, and he, he's succumbed to the temptation that you and I face to, to uh, make religion our goal, to make the structure our goal, and, and to trust in the structure rather than to trust in, in the relationship. The, this man, Saul, has no relationship with the living God. As he will say later in, in uh, his writings in 2 Corinthians and Galatians, he was, he was the most religious guy around. He made it his duty to outperform everyone else in terms of their faith, in terms of their um, worship of God. And in that zeal, he crossed a line. In that zeal, he lost track of the very person that he thought that he was worshiping. In that zeal, he never realized that he didn't have a relationship with God. So it's so fascinating, isn't it, that he gets to this place, to, to, um, to the road to Damascus, just outside the city, and something knocks him off his, his horse or his donkey, and and. And he hears his name being called. He hears Saul, Saul, right? Now, that would be spooky enough, wouldn't it, Marilyn? I mean, if you just, in the middle of the night or something, saw a bright light and heard your name being called, it would be spooky enough. And he, and, and he cries out, who, who is it? And then your Bible says, 
he says, who is it, Lord? And, and I just want to remind you that, that when they translated the name of God, they did not want to use the very name of God, though God gave it to them to use. And so they substituted the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord, right? And then now we are in Greek in the New Testament, and they translated that word Adonai into the word that you read here, um, Lord. And so I, I want to um, encourage you that it's very possible that he thought he was having a genuine encounter with the living God, Yahweh. Who is it? Yahweh? And, and he hears and said, I am Jesus. So he doesn't deny it. No, no, it's not Yahweh. It's Jesus, right? He doesn't deny it. He just says, the very thing that you resisted, the very thing that you even persecuted is talking to you face to face. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And we're going to come back to this in a couple minutes, but, but I just want to note right off the bat, and this might be something that you need and all you need today, but um, when you're suffering, you need to know that Jesus experiences your suffering, right? Saul thought that he was persecuting followers of the way. Saul thought that he was persecuting followers of this, this Messiah, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you were persecuting me. I find so much comfort in knowing that God understands everything I'm experiencing. He understands my loneliness. He understands my pain. He understands my grief. He understands my fear. He understands the rejection I feel when I, when I proclaim his name and other people don't receive it. And for so many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world who are suffering for the name of Jesus right now, when, when they suffer, Jesus feels it. He not only feels it, he identifies with them. When Saul persecuted Christians, he was persecuting Jesus. Wow. So, so... Um, Jesus said, it's me that you're persecuting. I want you to rise up and go into the very city where you were going to persecute people and wait for me to tell you what to do. And Saul, even though his eyes were open, um, there was a blindness. And for three days, for three days, everything that, that Saul thought he knew and understood, even the very simple things like being able to see were taken from him. Now, the really cool dynamic here is that God had a man in that city. And we saw the story, right, that, that God, at the same time this is happening to Saul, something's happening in this follower of Jesus' life. And, and Jesus says to him, you're not going to believe this. We didn't say that, though, Dave. Um, he said, there is a man praying right now, and in a vision he's seeing you, Ananias, come to him and lay hands on him. Now, think about for a second that person who is so difficult for you to believe uh, could become a follower of Jesus. Think about that person maybe who has deeply wounded you. It might be someone very close to you, right? Think about that person for a second and, and, and hear God say to you, I want you to go and lay hands on that person, right? And heal them and give them their sight. Well, your reaction would be much like Ananias. God, I've heard about this guy. Damascus is what? Oh, I've forgotten. I think it's about 130 miles from Jerusalem. But word had gotten there. And, and they knew this man, Saul, and they were desperately afraid of him, right? But Ananias did what the Lord asked him. And, and as a result of Ananias's and later Barnabas's faithfulness, this persecutor of the church Second, I mean, this is completely Dave, but second to Jesus, uh, became the most influential person in the New Testament, writing nearly half of the New Testament. Almost on a daily basis, I hear 
Saul's words, right? Oh, wow. Where do we go from this? What, what things can we take from Saul's conversion experience to try and, and apply for ourselves? Let me, let me just start by saying what you said last week. Conversion transforms you from the inside out, right? Saul, his whole life had seen the outside and tried to conform his life and do better than everyone else, but now something's happening inside Saul. And maybe, just maybe today, something's happening inside of you, right? The first inklings of the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart, and, and, and God is saying, what? You have done these things religiously. You left me out of it. I've not been a part of it. Total conversion transforms you from the inside out. That's where you left it last week. But I want to just note a couple things. Conversion is initiated by God, right? If Saul had been left to his own way, he would have continued on the path that he was in. But as we've seen so many times, and a hallmark of our, of our relationship with God is that God took the first step. Before you were ever aware God loved you, before you ever were conscious of his presence, God had a plan for your life and was revealing himself to you. And even Saul, who is persecuting the church, God initiates this relationship. In his case, it was very dramatic. In most of our cases, it won't be nearly that dramatic. It hasn't been nearly that dramatic. For me, it was the back of a bus so many years ago, 45 years ago or more. Is that right? Yeah, more. Um, just being overwhelmed with the love of God and then not having a framework to be able to understand it. And God revealed himself to me, but God took the initiative. And maybe, just maybe, a religious person, God has taken the initiative now for you as well. Conversion is initiated by God, but it always involves a personal encounter with Jesus. That day, Saul had a personal encounter, a conversation, even a vision, he will go on later to say, of a risen Savior. And, and if you are pursuing a religion that doesn't include a relationship, then you're not pursuing Jesus. Because Jesus is a, invites you into relationship with him. I believe that's the difference between Christianity and all other religions, right? Um, Christianity involves a, a personal relationship with the one that you worship. That light that shone that day, that light was the glory of God in the face of Jesus. How do I know that? Because later on, when Paul was writing about this experience, he said this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, I cry out to you, cultivate a relationship. You cultivate a relationship with your children, don't you? You cultivate a relationship with your, with your spouse. You cultivate, cultivate a relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Cultivate this relationship with Jesus. Here's where the hard part comes. It always, conversion always involves a surrender of our will to Jesus. A surrender of our will. Jesus Christ has a, a purpose for your life, but you will never discover that until you say, all that I am, I give to you, God. In the words of our old hymn, I surrender all to you. The Apostle Paul, when he was reflecting on this in his book to the Romans, said, I beg you, brothers and sisters, this is the same God, Saul, Apostle Paul, I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your, and then he uses a religious word, liturgy. This is your spiritual act 
of worship. This is the same word that's translated many places in the New Testament. This is your job. This is your work. Your work, Zacchaeus, is no longer to, to be a tax collector. Your work is to be a follower of, of, of Jesus Christ. Your work, beloved, Paul says, is, is to present yourself, to surrender yourself to Jesus. Conversion always involves surrender. I want you to note here, and we'll pick up on this next week, but I want you to note here that the body of Christ, um, the, the church, if you would, plays a, a powerful role in the conversion process, right? When we don't understand what's going on around us and even in us, God puts in, on the heart of members of the body of Christ to come walk us through it. And, and, and Ananias has such a critical role. We never hear about this Ananias again, in my reflection in, in, in Scripture, right? But at that moment in time, out of his personal relationship with Jesus, God called him and he was instrumental in bringing Saul into the kingdom of God. Now, now I say that uh, um, about Ananias, but did you notice how Ananias responded um, when, when God called his name? When Saul heard his name, he said, who are you, right? Ananias, when he heard his name, said, here I am. Here I am, Lord. I'm ready to do your will. God says, this is my will, that you would walk the most frightening man that you can imagine into the kingdom of God. Ananias says, are you sure? And God says, I'm sure. And Ananias went and did it. You see, the first words that Saul heard after his blindness was, excuse me, he still was blind. The first words that he heard from a follower of Jesus were, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Wow, the body of Christ plays a critical role in this. And we'll pick up on this next week and, and follow along with this. But, but discipleship is a lifelong process, and we, and we will carry that burden together. Right? Last thing I want to note here about Saul's conversion, though, is that it came with a commission. And that commission did not preclude suffering. God never says, if you do my will, then, then you won't grieve, you won't suffer, there will be, won't be problems in your life for the Apostle Paul, the Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, uh, God said, I'm going to show him how much he's going to have to suffer, right? Suffering is part and parcel of life. But the, the horrible thing is when we don't have meaning to our suffering. The horrible thing is when we don't understand its purpose. And with conversion comes purpose. With conversion comes commission, right? With conversion comes meaning. God's purpose for Saul was to take, to fulfill Genesis 12, to take the gospel to the nations, right? What's his purpose for you? God wants to have a relationship with you. God has meaning and purpose for your life. God has liturgy. He has work for you to do. Are you open and willing to receive it? As the worship team comes up, let me just say, where do we go from here? How can we begin to step into this process with him? Remember, we are the religious people, right? We are the ones that, that God is inviting into a deeper relationship. Let me just summarize briefly by saying, offer yourself to God. Your body, your soul, who you really are, and your spirit. Offer yourself to God. Here's the, here's the kicker. One day, everyone will offer their bodies, their souls, and their spirits to God. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. Why not do that now? Why not give up our, our trust in the religious structures around us and drink deep of that relationship with the living Christ, which is yours 
through Jesus Christ. But then secondly, again, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, Sarah, your words are coming back to me. Sarah is challenging our kids, our high school students on their whitewater rafting trip to, to, um, to begin with your mind. Renew your mind. Open God's word. I, um, I, I, was, uh, um, I hadn't been involved in student ministries for a long time. And, and it was kind of a rebaptism, right? And woo, hold on to your seats. Um, but what was really um, obvious to me was uh, the struggle for the hearts and mind and souls of our students. Oh my goodness, there's so much, 24 hours a day, so much vying for their attention. Well, here's the great realization as I was thinking about that and going, wow, God, I forgot this. And I started thinking about my own life and I realized I'm in the very same struggle. The things around me are swirling, struggling for my heart and my mind. Paul says, renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be washed in the water of his word until nothing remains in you but the sweet, sweet fragrance of the grace of God. I'm going to trust and I'm going to believe that as, as we offer our bodies, as we refresh our minds through God's word, some of you in the next hour as you, as you go online and, and open this passage and study it at a deeper level, as we renew our minds with God's scripture, then, then we will be transformed into the very image of the one who calls us by name today even the image of Jesus. Pray with me, would you? Oh God, thank you that there is not a soul that we lay eyes on who is beyond the pale, God, of the word of God. Thank you that you love us more than we could ever imagine. And you are revealing yourself to us in ways that we could never imagine. And so, Jesus, I just ask you, glorify yourself even in us. I pray for those who have not yet, God, surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you might give us the courage and you might give us the strength to be able to say, not only who is it, Lord, but to be able to say uh, to you, here I am. May it be done to me, God, according to your word. God, I thank you that no one we lay eyes on is beyond the pale of the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Would you move among us right now, God, in the sanctuary, in our living rooms, wherever we are communing with you today. Would you wash over us right now with wave after wave of your grace? For those of us, God, who have spent a lifetime condemning ourselves, saying, I am Saul. I am this very person that I feel. Oh, God, speak grace into our lives. Amazing grace, how sweet sound Say a wretch like me I once was lost but now am found was blind but now I see Just sing with me T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. Grace, my peers relieved. How precious did that grace appear. Stand with us, would you? The hour I first believed. My chains are gone. 
you richly as you live into the grace that is already yours, as you renew and deepen that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What the world needs is not more religious people. What the world needs is more people who know Jesus better and will help them find him as well. In just a moment, after the benediction, I'm going to invite you to sit down again and then beginning with the back rows, just release row by row. Begin to encourage you, be safe. Be safe, but not just physically. Be safe spiritually in the grace that is yours in Jesus Christ. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father, the fellowship and communion of his Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen? Please be seated. My chains are gone. Been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone, I've been set free. God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing Thank you. 
Thank you.